Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi there. I want to talk to you about Doug. You? You're okay. This one? Real fucking up. Okay, this is not now. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. Oh, you're from the neighborhood. You're right. Well, that's not entirely true. I came to see you, but where are the paperweights? That's what I want to see now. It's just torture and murder. No platinum characters. Very, very realistic. I think it's what's next. Am I hallucinating here? Just what in the hell do you think you're doing? Learning about Cuba. Toast to toast, my friends, to our health and cheer and happiness. Otto, let the ritual begin. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. Continuing our Christmas season movies, we're doing the most Christmas of the Christmas movies we're doing, (laughs) if that makes any sense. We did Brazil, that takes place during Christmas, and today we're doing Bad Santa. Bad Santa was released November 26th, 2003. Directed by Terry Zwigoff. Written by Glenn Ficarra and John Reck. With rewrites by both Coen Brothers and Terry Zwigoff. The movie stars Billy Bob Thornton as Willie, our titular Bad Santa. Tony Cox plays Marcus, his assistant, elf, also thief, with Willie, who's also a little person. Lauren Graham plays Sue, the love interest, although the name Sue is never mentioned in dialogue ever throughout the course of the movie. Brett Kelly plays Thurman Merman, a boy that believes initially that Willie is Santa Claus, and uh, Willie ends up shacking up with him for a while. The rest of our cast is rounded out by John Ritter as Bob, who is the mall manager who hires Willie and Marcus and then becomes increasingly suspicious of their behavior in the mall. Bernie Mac plays Jin, the mall head of mall security, and Cloris Leachman plays Granny. The cinematography was done by Jamie Anderson. This movie was produced by John Cameron, Sarah Aubrey, and Bob Weinstein. The less worrisome of the Weinstein brothers. The movie was edited by Robert Kaufman. Music is done by Dave Cate. The executive producers include the Coen brothers... And Harvey Weinstein, the very worrisome and, I think, incarcerated? He must be incarcerated by now. If he isn't incarcerated, he should be incarcerated. The budget for the movie was $23 million and it went on to gross $76.5 million at the box office. The filming began in California July 8th to. 2002 and ended in September 2002. The movie 
is about Willie and Marcus who run a scam of pretending to be a department store Santa, an elf, and while doing their jobs as a Santa and an elf, they case the mall and then on Christmas Eve rob the mall. They've done it, I believe it's mentioned, I think, eight or ni- at least eight or nine times. Now, this movie came about because the Coen brothers had an idea for a bad Santa that would eventually have some sort of redemption. The screenwriters went off with this story that they had and kind of fleshed it out, wrote it, and then gave it to the Coen brothers. The Coen brothers liked it, but they weren't interested in directing it. So they, uh, Weinsteins actually came across Terry Zwigoff's previous movie, Ghostland, and wanted to do a Terry Zwigoff film. Up until Ghostland, uh, Zwigoff had only done two documentaries, one of which I saw, which was called Crumb, about the underground art comic legend. And then he did Ghostland. This is not only Terry Zwigoff's like most well-known movie, it's probably his most... It's crude, but it's probably his most success- accessible movie because, well, documentaries has a small audience to begin with, and then Ghostland and Art School Confidential or, or smaller comedies, um, but, you know, not big budget comedies and didn't get wide, wide, wide distribution. So Zwigoff had the script, showed it to a couple of different companies, and I have a quote here from Universal on why they didn't want to do this movie. They said, quote, it was the most foul, disgusting, misogynistic, anti-Christmas, anti-children thing we could imagine. This quote led to Bob Weinstein greenlighting the movie. So, <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about his character, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So, we, uh, movie starts... Well, before we talk about the movie, we should talk about the three different versions of this movie. We watched the director's cut, and there exists a theatrical cut, and then a batter Santa, which is just a DVD thing that they put out there with more gross jokes and profanity, but the director's cut is three minutes shorter than the theatrical and is ten minutes shorter than the unrated Batter Santa cut. Now, having watched the theatrical, well, having watched the director's cut and then parts of the theatrical cut, 
Uh, I got to go with the theatrical cut. I mean, I got to go with the director's cut on this. The theatrical cut has scenes in it that are either unnecessary, poorly written, just not funny. They don't do anything for the plot, really. And they kind of... It diminishes the redemption of Willie, our titular bad Santa, by, um, he's too nice in some of these scenes that were removed for the, the uh, that were remo removed for the director's cut. And it should be known, I'm not sure exactly which scenes were reshot but original director Terry Zwigoff was not involved in the reshoots. None of the original writers were involved in the reshoots. The reshoots were helmed by Todd Phillips, who is probably best known for directing the Hangover movies, Road Trip, and admittedly a movie I like quite a bit, the most recent Joker movie but he's mostly known for kind of adult humor. So, Andrew, initial thoughts about Bad Santa? I, I loved it. I loved the director's cut. I'd seen the theatrical version when it came out, uh, and I liked, I liked it a lot back then. But having seen the director's cut, um, I think it's, it's a superior version. I really do. Um, it's very concise. It's almost a perfect movie in its... Um, in its in its conciseness, that, if I'm using that word correctly, I think you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it's such a nifty little package. Ha ha ha! Merry Christmas. <laughs> a nifty little package of a movie. The director's cut. Um, when um, Chris, when you just showed me uh, the reshoot scenes that were released in the theatrical version, I found I also found them completely unnecessary. I actually hated them. I I I hated the writing. I hated the the reason you know i hated the scenes for be existing uh at all i thought i thought it was why would you why would you play with something that was so perfect to begin with but that's hollywood and that's big business so they had to throw some more cooks into the kitchen with this and uh as is the case with with my own personal opinion, when they do such things with movies, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like what they've done. It strays farther, further and further from the original concept. The director's cut of Bad Santa, in my opinion, is the definitive version and the one that should be watched. Absolutely. Uh, it runs in less than an hour and a half, the director's cut. Wow! There is no fat that you need to trim from this movie. No. The director's cut, it's, I mean, one of the big differences is that it, the opening is a scene, it's a slow kind of pan through a bar, and we just see Billy Bob Thornton, miserable. And you, sitting alone at the end of the sitting bar. Sitting alone at the end of the bar, smoking a cigarette, looking miserable, looking at the other people there. Who are having a good time and celebrating Christmas. Right. And you could tell exactly what kind of person he is just by his facial acting. Mm -hmm. The theatrical cut, for some reason, needs to... They threw in this 
monologue, inner monologue of him. Voiceover. Voiceover monologue of, um, yeah, it's not a monologue, inner monologue. Voiceover. That's, uh, it's just, it's just so unnecessary. We don't need to know this guy's backstory. We don't need to know that he had a shitty childhood. It's just not necessary. Well, he says it. He says it later. He says it later in the movie. Yeah, he not talks only does about he... it. I mean, it's not like it's information that isn't revealed in time. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, given to you as expository at the very beginning. I mean, the only useful, I guess, little bit of information that we're given in the voiceover that uh kind of helps is that we know that his father's the one that teaches him how to crack safes but i mean oh that's that's interesting okay but do we we don't but really... it's, it's not even necessary i mean no. why do they have to even uh explain that no we don't you know we don't need to it's and you could tell that it's not the same writers because the writing's not as sharp it's not it's it's very juvenile and that's what i could say about a lot of the other scenes too it's kind of juvenile hill humor it's the silly. Resho- the reshot scenes yeah or the, the resho- or the added scenes both yeah, the, that's what i'm saying the added scenes yeah they're they're very i mean they're silly it doesn't like yeah. kind of fit with the tone of the movie no um like Willie and Marcus celebrating after a big heist. Yeah, that's... he's got a big smile on his face and no. he's swinging him around. It no, and then you the know... whole the, then we have this whole like we have to have this like subplot that goes has no bearing on the rest of the story of him just stealing a car, going to a house, breaking into a safe. But we've already established that he can open a safe, and that has nothing to do. With Santa, he's not even dressed like Santa Claus. He's at fucking Miami. I know, and he's there are a lot of scenes of him just kind of like looking, looking, you know, dressed in in plain clothes, looking looking handsome, look, looking handsome actually. Yeah, he it's looks like, healthy and handsome. Right. Thank you, healthy. Yes, yes, you're right. You're right, and it's just it doesn't <laughs> you know it's it's uh, it detracts from from uh, the character. It so, really does. And to, and when he goes into that house in Miami, he's he's like. Uh, knocking down pictures, kind of trashing the house for no reason at all while he's looking for the safe in the house. No, there's no reason. There's no reason for this, any of this. Well, After seeing the director's cut, there's no reason no, for any there's of no this. Reason. But he was flipping the paintings because he was looking for the safe. Oh, that's true. You're right. You're right. But still, you know. Yeah, um, you're right. You're right. But, again, it's unnecessary to the basic story that is being told here it feels it feels (laughs) in a movie where i surprisingly don't feel gross watching it um it feels gross seeing all these added scenes for some reason it feels gross (laughs) i could and um so i'm uh, i wanted to mention this earlier in the episode but i'll mention it now uh due to some of the nature (laughs) Of this movie and some of the lines we might be quoting, this movie, uh, this particular episode of the Cold Film Companion podcast might be a little bit more vulgar than we usually get into. It might, maybe we'll see. I'm actually, yeah, I actually feel very, uh, um, I don't want to use the word wholesome about this movie. We'll get into why I feel like this movie is actually, um, kind of sweet 
It is, you know what? <laughs> it is a sweet movie, and it, but there are. It's almost like the vulgarity disguises something much, something quite beautiful. Which is why I, why the movie I think works. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I could see. I mean, we didn't watch the batter Santa cut, which is I don't know how much longer, ten minutes longer than the theatrical. I can only imagine the amount of. Stuff that they added in. Yeah. I, I'm not interested. The, the the director's cut is it, as far as I'm concerned. And he's, you know, the only... Uh, so I, earlier today, watched the movie, the director's cut, with the director's commentary. And a lot of the reshoots, a lot of the added scenes, was because of... Test screenings. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. All right. So being a being a I just like off as a footnote, I just have to say, like, one of the biggest changes to two movies I can think of off the top of my head. Um, Little Shop of Horrors, the musical and the Stepford Wives remake. Both were heavily, heavily influenced by test screenings and ended up becoming basically completely different movies uh, due to test screenings. So, I, you know, I don't know. And I've been to test screenings myself where I've had to fill out those cards, you know. And I think I remember movies being changed after I'd seen the test screening and filled out those cards. I can't really remember. It was a while ago. But uh, I there's at least one movie that I unfortunately can't remember ha, that I saw a test screening of and I remember filling out a card and then eventually they changed it um, based on the cards that were filled out. I don't know what to say about this except that it seems it seems that the movies suffer from catering to test screening audiences. So another thing is someone um, actually... We're dedicating this episode to our title card uh, artist, Paul, and his wife, who loved this movie. And Ah, no way. Yeah. Right on. So, if you love the title card design, all the credit in the world goes to Paul. He took my warped ideas and criticisms and critiques and changes and molded them into the title cards they are now. Kudos. Thank you. So, if you love the title cards... All the credit goes to Paul. If you hate the title cards, it was all my idea, and you can hate, <laughs> hate me. No no hate towards Paul. But he asked me, he goes, is Bad Santa really a cult movie? And here's the way that, I, not that I need to justify anything, because it's... You it, kind of do, actually. With do the I? movie that made as much money as this movie, you need to kind of defend, you need to kind of justify... Why why it's on our podcast. So go for it, Chris. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, number one, Terry Zwigoff, everything else that he has ever directed could easily be considered a cult film. Sure. He is very much an independent art kind of director. Also, finding cult movies that aren't horror because or too like way too mainstream it's difficult no it's not 
I could trust me. I can come up with a bunch, but go on. Well, with that's that. good. This is for our first Christmas season <laughs> episode. We got some. We got some doozies coming up for Christmas-related movies. Actually, um, what for Christmas-related movies? Yeah. What in the future? Like a year from now? No. What are like you talking next about? Next week. Next. Oh well. Okay. I mean. Showgirls and female trouble. I mean, Showgirls isn't a Christmas movie, is it? Does it take place during Christmas? It must. There's Christmas decorations all over the place. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, if that's your if that's your quota, if that's your qualification, and of course, female trouble is basically like aftermath from Christmas. But it's Christmas, so it yeah. is. It starts off in Christmas. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, but I would say that this movie has a cult following. They're, they're people that have their movies that they watch every Christmas season. And this is one of them. There, there are certain people that will, every year they watch Bad Santa. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I'm sure. I'm one of them. Okay. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, it, I mean, I see it. It's I... got a cult following. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty mainstream and it made a lot of money, but... I mean, I had a sequel. It did, and it was not very good. Yeah, but I mean, cult movies, you know, that are off the radar, they're... Have we done a... Have we covered a movie that had a sequel? I don't think we have, have we? Not yet. <laughs> Until now. Well, <laughs> Halloween 3 had many oh, sequels. Oh, that's true, that's true, that's true. <laughs> so did The Howling. That's true. All right, proceed. Okay. So, it's just a fun Christmas movie. It's also a, a comedy that I could watch any time of year, but I will always watch around Christmas because... It's quotable. It still makes me laugh. Some of the same lines still make me laugh. Like the reveal that the kid's name is Sherman Merman. <laughs> like, come. It's like the... No, Thurman. Thurman. Thurman Merman. Just like Thurman the Merman. way he delivers it. He, Billy Bob's looking down at the report card. And he goes, is that your name? Is that Thurman really, Merman? Really your name. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's such a goofy name, but it still makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. For a goofy kid too. Oh, <laughs> so so casting that kid uh, caused issues with some of the producers. They did not. They wanted a clean cut kind of a Disney Channel esque child actor. Terry Zwigoff wanted Joe Cobb and. For those of you who don't know who Joe Cobb is, I guess he's one of the original Little Rascals, the R-Gang. I guess he was a bigger, kind of not-so-good-looking kid. And I'm not going to rag on an eight-year-old's look, but, I mean, he's portly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he remind like, who's, I mean, he's he's much more aff- affable, if, if that's the right word. But in a way, he reminds me of uh, who's the German boy in Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Augustus Gloop. Yeah, <laughs> he does. <laughs> Not nearly, 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 nearly as obnoxious. No, uh, the- but of course, you know, different. You know, it's a different character. It's a different role. I can't picture any other kid doing this role. He is. He's terrific. He's ter- and I hope he's still acting. If not, then I hope he's happy. So, but he's he's terrific. He's terrific, and he's. I know he shows up in Bad Santa too. Okay. So I did see when we watched um, Zwigoff talking about he wanted there to be a level of honesty throughout the whole movie. the The boy is very there's an honesty about him 
about everything that he's doing, even though he's supposed, I guess he's kind of like, I'm not so sure if he's dim-witted or if he's just kind of in his own headspace because of what he's been through and what he, uh, what he's had to deal with in his life so far. But he's kind of, you know, there's often this blank expression and then, you know, there's a moment, there's always a moment before he has his next thought and delivers his next line. And it's just, it's coming from a place of total curiosity, um, total innocence, and, uh, a, you know, a genuine, a genuine need to be heard and have an answer to his questions. To his, to his questions. Many questions. So, it was funny because they were talking about some of the scenes with him and Billy Bob, and... You know, he he was asking the questions like it was on the script, but uh, Zwigoff wanted to get some more like energy out of him, like some more eagerness, like he really wants yeah. these questions answered. Yeah. So he said, so he was talking to Billy Bob. He goes, I don't, I'm not sure how to like get that out of him. So uh, Billy Bob asked him, "Who is your favorite at comedy actor?" Him being eight years old, back in early 2000s, his favorite actor, comedy actor, was Adam Sandler. Okay. So, they said, okay, from now on, pretend that you're asking these questions of Adam Sandler. And then you got that eagerness. You got okay. that excitement. Sure, that would work. So, like, th- that's an interest. That's such an interesting directing technique. Yeah, sure. Well, it ups the stakes. It ups the ante. Yeah. All of a sudden, now there's some there's motivation. Uh, so that I can see how that would work, but the can I just say like if I'm if I'm repeating myself I apologize, but that blankness on his face <laughs> between you know when he's listening, especially when he's listening to Billy Bob yelling at him basically right, and it's just just this total blank look on his face. It's hilarious, and, and then, then the next you know and then the not ne- coming down is yeah right right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm God not bless sure. Him. So, but on his report card, he got all C's and one B. Yeah, doesn't imply that he's the most intelligent kid, right? But he kicks Billy Bob asses, Thor- uh, Billy Bob Thornton's ass in checkers. He does. <laughs> he does, and it pisses Billy Bob off. Oh, he I freaks mean, out. Yeah, but it's a. It is. It's a moment. All of a sudden, you see, like, aha. Yeah, he's got brains. He's he, got. He's you know this kid had does have. There is something going on. There There's is a so, light on in the house. There is something going on because I think there's there's several times throughout the movie where he just like looks at him. He goes like, "Kid, are you fucking with me?" Yeah, right, like, <laughs> right. And okay, so I mean, it is it is the kid who um, who delivers the letter that Billy Bob has written about uh, the robbings to the police on Christmas Day. So the police bust the the heist. Yep. I'm right, right? Yeah. So I you know, so there's some wheels turning with that going on. Like he didn't Billy Bob gives the kid the the kid the note, uh the letter in an envelope, in a sealed envelope when he's trying to you know, commit suicide in, in a car. He's hooked up the exhaust to a hose and then put the hose through the window and rolled the window up and he's gonna, you know, breathe himself Asp- to death. Asphyxiate himself. Exactly, exactly. So uh, so it's it, there is the question of what makes the kid decide to... I mean, Billy Bob does not kill himself. What makes the kid decide to deliver this letter to the cops 
at that time uh, because it it could potentially jeopardize Billy Bob's life, you know, you know. So not his life, but his, you know, he could become incarcerated from potentially from this letter. I think he tells them to do it on Christmas Eve, doesn't he? He might. I don't remember. I think he did. Okay. All right. So that would. And so is the store. So is the store. This is all going down on Christmas Eve. Yes. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's not Christmas night. It's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so the kid. So the kid could just be following the direct the orders for the directions, the original directions for the letter. Right. Yeah. So like <laughs> this kid. So uh, I'll just say this about the actor was totally in on the joke. He totally got what they were doing, what they, how they wanted him to play the character and everything. I love this kid. Mm-hmm. He, <laughs> I usually can't take kids screaming, but for some reason, and I know it, it's intentional that they, they want you to laugh, but that scene where he has cut his hand open and he is just yelling bloody murder... Yeah, well, it's the first time you see him freak out. Everything is basically stuffed down with him. Yeah. And then finally, you know, I mean, he it's a big cut on his hand that yeah. you see. And so he is freaking out, and you're just, whoa, okay, here we go. So then the cut turns to him getting a Melvin slash wedgie. And if you don't know what a Melvin is, that's the front wedgie, back wedgie. He's got both ends of his underwear up. Changes his mind for what he wants for Christmas. He wants a giant gorilla to beat up the bullies. Is that what he says? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so this kid makes, yeah, he makes a hard, uh, you know, he makes a hard turn there uh, under the. Uh, what, into a revenge uh, wish, basically? But, and the, But then he, he says stuff like, maybe you just want to get me a present, even though I'm like a loser sack of shit or something he's very like is that what billy bob has called him at some no. point okay okay billy bob is... so maybe his maybe uh maybe it's the kids maybe oh, it's, it's the, the, bully. the those, bullies those... who have said that to him oh yeah they okay. they've they have just uh, unfortunately the way the kid looks his haircut he's got like a blonde curly afro <laughs> and he's got clothes that are a little too tight He's, like, perfect, but, like, you couldn't dress up a better victim for a bull, like a bull, like a young, you know, young bullies to pick on. Yeah. Um, but he's great. I have to say, and it's, so, Billy Bob Thornton claims that he was intoxicated the entire time making this movie. And the director says that that wasn't the case that he was drunk some of the time but not all of the time he doesn't know how billy bob could have been drunk to do to deliver the performance in some scenes that he delivered which he did because there's certain scenes where the timing of the jokes the reactions they're perfect this is not the the one scene that he's uh uh the director said that he absolutely was drunk is the scene <laughs> Of when he's, it's towards the end of the movie, and he comes up the escalator and, like, falls over. Yeah, he's crawling. He's He's crawling up the escalator. He's crawling up the escalator, crawls over to, like, the Santa Land, calls 
a donkey a spick and then beats the sh- <laughs> just beats the shit out of it. And <laughs> you said that was the one scene I I know for sure that you know Billy was Bob drunk. was drunk. But I got to say, like it, the other scenes that his timing, unless he is like master. Dr- I would say, you know, I could see him having a couple drinks and then doing a scene. But, like, to be com- completely inebriated and, like, he- delivering those lines and, like, sometimes he does slur. But it's certainly clear enough, you know, and he knows to wait for other people's reactions. I'm not buying it. Yeah. I'm not buying it. Yeah. I buy it in that scene. When uh-huh. he- <laughs> because all he's doing is crawling around beating up a... Uh-huh. He, I, I, I think he wasn't even supposed to say the word spick, but he does. And, uh, yeah, he beats up a donkey. And, um, so we have a love interest. Yes. Who's half Jewish and therefore, yes, she says she's half Jewish. And that leads her to seeing Santa as a forbidden figure because All right. Christmas was not allowed at their house. Right. So she's got this, like, deep se- deep-seated deep childhood, like, obsession Santa fetish. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's become sexualized. Very sexualized. Yeah, yeah, so she's, she's it's instant attraction to Billy Bob. She's played by, who is it, Laura Graham? Is that right? From... Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham from Gilmore Girls. Um... And I know I knew her from Gilmore Girls uh, before I'd saw, seen the movie, so it was fun to see her uh, doing this type of role in this type of movie. And she, she, I've never seen Gilmore Girls. Oh, it's it's cute. It's Is cute. It? Yeah, she's the mom. You know who else hasn't seen Gilmore Girls? Who? Terry Zwigoff. Oh well, that's okay. <laughs> that's totally fine. I mean, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't have to. It's. It, I mean, you know, it's a it's a it's a very uh, popular mainstream uh, television show. Yeah. But I and I watched it because a friend of mine really liked it, so I would watch it with him. I didn't choose to watch it of my own accord. Uh, so I, I'm imagining that her role in Gilmore Girls was very different than her role. Oh here. yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is a whole different type of thing for her. But anyway, she does a good job, and there is an instant attraction. And it's it's. I find it. Uh, I noticed how the two people who eventually become family to Billy Bob Thornton's character is are her and the boy, the kid, and they both seek him out. He doesn't seek them out. They seek him out. They want him in their life. Yes. And right? And so and eventually it happens. It happens and it happens because the walls that he has up do eventually start coming down and it's not easy i mean i don't know why you know why anyone would pick him uh that it's it's a big challenge getting someone like that into into your life you're going to have to tear down a lot of walls but they he well yeah go ahead she initially chooses him because she just wants to fuck Santa Claus. Right. But she, there's more. I feel like there's more. And I well, feel she, like... sa- she says afterwards, she goes, I like you. Yeah. Don't mothball that suit. Right. And Thurman Merman seeks him out because he, 
I don't know if he really thinks that he's Santa Claus. He well, figures think... it out eventually, but I gotta say, I kind of think that he really thinks that he's Santa Claus initially. Uh, either could be. It either could that be. or he's very, very dim. More dim than we're giving him credit for. I think my 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 interpretation was with both of them, there's something underneath their uh, initial desire to seek him out as Santa Claus that is um, attracted to the person underneath the Santa Claus suit. Billy Bob's character. What is his name again? I should have done a cast list. <laughs> Both of them, there's something about Willie that I think they're they're responding to. There's something about Willie. Yeah. There's something about Willie that they're that they're responding to and that they that they that resonates with them. When Willie is surrounded by people who are using him or have a disdain for him or are, you know, probably justifiably suspicious of him. So he he doesn't have he doesn't have he doesn't have love in his life. He does not. No. He does not. I don't and think here, he's ever had love in his life. Maybe not. I think maybe he's had not. a lot of sex in his life. Yeah. Well, that's diff- yeah. And when but we, he when clearly we know that that's different. He never got a uh, you know, the the love that he needed as a child probably, not from his father. Uh, but here are two people who um, are willing to become well, a part actually, of his life. Not only from his father, but if you see Bad Santa 2, he didn't get that love from his mother either because she's in Bad Santa 2. Oh, my God. Okay. They, I, bas- I don't need, yeah, they, created, they created this criminal. Uh, the parents did? Yes. Okay. So he's been in jail. He's been in jail for, for robbery, I believe. I mean, he he cracks safes. Yeah. Okay, so... And then he's found a way to be a Santa Claus at malls during Christmas time, but only as a cover for robbing the malls. Correct. Um, And somehow they get away with changing their names and doing this year after year. Him and and Marcus. Yep. His sidekick. Marcus, who has um, a girlfriend slash wife who... um, is what is she Asian? Is she Hispanic? Is she a mix? And she's, for some reason, in the theatrical version, at one point she says Oiga Vault, which makes no sense whatsoever. She is Asian. Okay. The script called for a very tall, busty, blonde woman. Okay. Terry Zwigoff decided to base Marcus's wife on his friend. Who has a mail order bride from the Philippines? Oh, okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. She's still the most underdeveloped character in the in the movie. Um, she's just a greedy bitch. Yeah, but I mean, it's that's what I'm saying. She's not really developed. Like, so that's all you're gonna see her as. Yeah. In the movie. So, and it's and it it is shocking to find out that she and Marcus are actually cold blooded killers. Yeah, um, when they kill Bernie Mac, um, that that that's almost a difficult transition for me to make in the movie um, to see them in that light. I mean, I know it's supposed to 
foreshadow Marcus pulling the gun on on Willie at the end, but still, it's just like really, really, they're they're they they'll just kill like that. That's um. Okay. Let's go back to the test audiences. That was one of the biggest complaints from the test audiences. That I mean, I feel like that that's kind of justifiable, actually. Killing, killing Bernie Mac. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Bernie Mac and John Ritter because I love both of these performances. They're great. They're fantastic. I, the scenes between the two of them are hilarious. So, John Ritter came up with the whole squeamish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was all him. Mm-hmm. I believe and, it. it. It works so well, mm-hmm. and it's so funny because he feels like embarrassed because he has to say some like nasty stuff (laughs) he's like so i was in the women's big and tall and there was a screaming orgasm and he said you're not gonna shit right for a week no he doesn't say that dude he says s-h-i-t right yeah he He can't even even say say the word shit (laughs) yeah he's so squeamish it's so funny and bernie mac who I don't know if you picked up on this, but they had a backstory for Bernie Mac that he's agitated because he's constipated. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> you see him eating oranges, and then he's drinking Metamucil, and... but. Um, so when, how do you know that? Is that, how do, is that ever stated in the theatrical version, or what? That was from the director's commentary. That's really funny. I mean, that went right over my head, but of course that makes sense. You're, he's he's, easy, he's consuming all this fibrous stuff. Even right. oranges kind of help you. So yeah, yeah. So the the editor did the commentary with with Terry, and he was talking because he's worked with Terry before, and he goes for some reason, Terry finds eating very very funny, but not regular eating, like obnoxious eating, like loud. Yeah, right. Because there's like, like, see, let me get close to the microphone. That yeah. kind of thing with an orange, or the salad scene with Billy Bob Thornton. He's just got like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mug, and like yeah. salads just pouring out of his mouth. Right, 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 <laughs> right. And it's so funny to see him eating a salad of all the things that he was <laughs> like the healthiest. <laughs> that's what that the, yeah that kind of took me out. I'm like that's like in, in postcards from the edge when Shirley MacLaine is is. Uh, is giving a what's what to Meryl Streep, and she's cutting up fruit and putting it in the blender, fruit, fruit, blender, blender, blender. And then as soon as Meryl Streep leaves the kitchen, she pulls out a bottle of vodka and pours the pours it into the blender and mixes that with right. all the fruit. And in the theatrical cut, he whips up fried Spam sandwiches or fried bologna sandwiches with salsa on it. He calls it a tostada, I think. Yeah. He's like, he's like, and the, and the kid's like, this doesn't look like a tostada. And he puts the salsa on top and he's like, there, it's just a tostada. It's a tostada now. However, this is one of the added scenes. So I'm just not in favor of, of, of it at all. No, the added, <laughs> the added scenes change because the opening voiceover ruins the scene for me. I like just having this movie. And that's not the only movie they've done that with. They've done that with a lot of movies. Where Blade Runner. That's right. They added the, uh, that's the voiceover right. for Blade Runner. That's right. And it's better without. My in my. So I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to think which which version of Blade Runner I have. I don't think I have the one with the opening monologue. Well, I think I think, I think in Blade Runner the narration goes throughout. 
the whole movie. I don't know if that's, I don't remember if that's the case with the theatrical version of Bad Santa. No, it's it just doesn't. the opening. It's just that opening well, scene. Well, that's even more superfluous then. What's the point? The act, you get everything you need just from the physical acting. Mm-hmm. You get the looks of disdain. You get the look that this guy is depressed. He is miserable. Mm-hmm. But there's something, there's something almost, I don't want to say glamorous about it. I remember the first time I saw it with narration and all. And I just remember that shot of him. And there's, um, I mean, what what can I like an existential angst almost with right. him? And yeah, that, and you know, and, and it's, it's a beautiful moment. And he looks, he looks very handsome, very charismatic. It's uh, uh, this movie was shot on video. I I it disturbs me that I can't figure out if movies are shot on film or video. We went through this with Brick, even. Yeah. Um. So I don't know what's wrong with me, but uh, for being shot on video. It looks very cinematic. I'm not sure if it was shot. I, I can't say for sure. I thought Zwigoff said it was. Did he? Yeah. I in think that so, yeah. Ebert in, Maybe. you know, seminar. But I think uh, another thing that I found in this last watch when we watched the uh, the director's cut, the mix of classical music and then Christmas music Muzak. <laughs> like it's it totally yeah. works with this movie. Yeah. Like you like dun, dun, dun. Yep. and then you have like a boy band singing like he, Oh holy night. I but think. some of the musical cues are just great classical music cues and I, yeah. I think that any other director, you know, that that's the kind of thing that like Terry Zwigoff like does this weird kind of thing, and his other movies are very funny, but they're like a quirky kind of funny. Sure, they're not broad comedy okay. kind of funny. Sure. Um, well, and that's the difference between the added footage and the original movie of Bad Santa. I feel like the comedy in the uh, added footage is very broad, whereas the comedy in the original version is um, something very offbeat. Yeah, uh-huh. you wouldn't, like the boxing scene where they're teaching the kid how to box. Yeah, and they all get, they all punch each other he, in the yeah. nuts. Yeah. That's like... Yeah, that's hangover stuff. That's exact, and that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which I mean, I don't, I don't dislike the hangover movies, but I don't want to see that injected into uh, Bad Santa. No, because, I mean, for as crude a movie as this is, there is... There's heart. It is a tale of redemption. And this is, it is. this is what's interesting. Um, I don't want to get too much into the roots of Christmas or the origins of Christmas, but there are... Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Here I go. There are, there are sat- satanic origins to Christmas. You can research this on your own and come up with your own conclusions. Christ wasn't probably really born uh on christmas day it's kind of it's kind of not what it is uh there are there's definitely pagan roots to christmas and that can be that can be definitely researched but also krampus yeah krampus also you know and satan and santa is is said to be an anagram for satan i mean i mean how obvious can you get with that so and krampus is a big part of it as well you can talk about saint nick but you got to talk about the other stuff as well sure so with this 
with you know with this type of understanding or even without this type of understanding bad santa with all its all its vulgarities uh turns out to be in my opinion a very christian movie and i say that in the most pure sense of christianity where at the end his final act if he's going to die from all those gunshots his final living slash dying act is one of completely pure generosity. Just giving that pink elephant, stuffed elephant, to Thurman, placing it on the doorstep before he just blacks out completely from being shot multiple times. That is his final, that is his final, you know, uh, act. That's his final act as as a living person. He does, he does live after that. But, you know, if he were to die, that would be his final act, you know. And, he w- and yeah, go ahead. I was going to just say Terry Zigwath wanted to end the movie there. It kind of should, in a way. It kind of leave should. Leave it ambiguous. Sure, leave it ambiguous. But we do see in the following scene that he's writing that letter um, from from the hospital, and he has, you know, he's been deemed a hero now. Um, and he has a family now. He has his own family. He's got her. He's got Lauren Graham. He's got uh, the kid Thurman. And he's got Granny, Cloris Leachman, uh, you know, to come home to, yeah. basically. He's and got a family he's now. He's got a family now. And there's there's nothing more Christian than that. So, I mean, this is, you know, in a, in a world where sus- there are a lot of elements of society break up the family dynamic, here is a story where... Uh, a family dynamic has been created, and um, that's how you leave the movie. It's to me, to me, this is extremely beautiful, extremely hopeful. Very, um, I mean, it it did a number on me. Like you know, in terms of, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not really into Christmas this year, but it did make me more into Christmas this year just by watching it. Bad Santa. Yeah. Bad Santa. I mean, you know, right. It's not. We're not talking about you know. It's a wonderful life, or it's you know a, a Christmas, Christmas carol story. or a Christmas story, right? Like we're talking about Bad Santa. Actually, made me more into Christmas than I was before I watched the movie. And another reason I wanted to, to to choose that for this podcast is because this was like the first of the. There's been several since adult oriented Christmas comedies, like R-rated Christmas comedies. And they all... They, they all basically came from the success of Bad Santa. Mm. There's a... There's, um, office christmas party right i've seen that yeah vince vaughn and it's funny i think of vince vaughn kind of as maybe a, a candidate for bad santa no one's better than billy bob thornton but i, I vince but, vaughn's not an office christmas office party he's not who is it it's just, the owen justin bateman and who else jennifer aniston <laughs> all right strike what i said go on so but i've seen it i mean there's a bonfire in the office, uh, like during the Christmas party, yeah, Doesn't, yeah, isn't yeah, there yeah, something? Yeah, like they start throwing furniture and Christmas trees into this bonfire. I've seen it. For some reason, I think I thought that Vince Vaughn was in it. 
All it right. might be another Christmas, but, but like I said, they, it started this whole thing. There's a Seth Rogen stoner Christmas okay. comedy. Okay. So this this was, um, I mean, the closest thing that I think we had before Bad Santa would be Scrooged. Mm-hmm. Sure. With and, Bill Murray, right? Yeah. Sure, I've never seen it. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's it's and? another one of my favorite Christmas movies. Okay, it's very so, very funny. Well, then it means that it must have some heart to it. It does. Okay, it's basically a Christmas Carol with Bill Murray. Okay, um, but this is—I mean, Bad Santa is a totally original story. Everything about it is completely original. Oh right, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's you got to love it. You know, yeah, you really do. It was just like. I, I, it was funny because they were talking about how these two screenwriters, they wanted to write a script for the Coen brothers. And so they went up to the, they, they somehow got to meet the Coen brothers and they were like, we'd love to write a screenplay for you guys. And the Coen brothers generally write their own screenplays. But they're like, well, we, we've always had this idea about a bad Santa who goes through this like redemption kind of thing. And then these screenwriters went off with it. And then the Coen brothers, they added um, a bunch of scenes. Um, Terry Zwigoff added a bunch of scenes, but, you know. So those those two that we just watched being interviewed before we did this podcast, um, the guy and the girl, those are the original writers? No, those were the two producers. Oh, sorry. So who are the original writers again? Just let's let's cover that again. Glenn Ficarra and John Reck. So they were the original ones to come up with this idea. They abro- approached the Cohen brothers. The Cohen brothers did not have this idea originally. For a bad Santa? Yeah. No, the Cohen brothers had the idea for a bad Santa. That was the I was the only idea that they had. So so do the one two threes with me. Okay. Who had it first, and then who these got two it screenwriters wanted to write a script for the Cohen brothers. Okay. Just anything. They just wanted to be. They want. I and mean, the Cohen brothers were like, "Well, we've had this idea. What do you think of such and such?" Yeah. And they took that ball and ran with it. Yep. They wrote some. Re- uh, I mean, you know, this has gone through several hands, but they wrote some really good stuff. Oh like yeah. The, the you know, the dialogue. I mean, there's there's so much there's so much profanity. <laughs> I mean, it's the profanity. The profanity, pretty much alone. There, there are other elements too, but it's pretty much the profanity that gives it an R rating. It's right. just cussing, cussing, well, cussing through the whole thing between Billy Bob Thornton, between between Willie and Marcus. There is a violent shootout at the end too that would give it well, an how R many, rating. I mean, come on, you see violent shootouts in you know Wonder Woman, you know, and so it's just like. Do you see violent where an unarmed Santa Claus is gunned down in front of neighborhood children? <laughs> that's an that's R right. rating. Those kids come out on the <laughs> kids, and they're screaming on yeah. the balcony. <laughs> I don't know necessarily though if that would if that would even give an R rating just by itself. The profanity is is extreme. I mean, if you if you wrote down all of the you know all of the cuss words, made a list of them, and how many times they were used, it's abundant. I can get you that list. Are you serious? Yeah, I can get you that list. It's so, and it's like, does, did it ever really, really bother me? Let me think. I don't know if it ever really, really bothered me. A lot of it comes from real uh, frustration, both from Willie and Marcus. Right. Being like genuinely frustrated and then saying things that genuinely frustrated people who swear will say. You know? I remember my mother. Okay, so we've had the disclaimer at the beginning. I'm going to say 
I'm going to I'm going to say it. And they say it in the movie too. And um you probably shouldn't be digging in your ass. Well that that's a that's a funny one. That that's not even really a you know, you if 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 you want to say ass is a cuss word then yes. But I mean I think um, it's Let's let's say let oh, I don't even want to say it. Our, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm uncomfortable saying some of these prof, prof, some of the profanity that's that's said in the movie. Uh but they put they'll put they'll put the the word fucking in between uh a real, you know when you're saying all right, when you're saying Jesus Christ, okay? So so they'll put that in the middle between between the two between the two words. Right. So but, yeah, so profanity, go ahead. The unrated version of the film has the record for the most profanities in a Christmas film. <laughs> 170 uses of fuck. 74 uses of shit. 31 uses of ass. 10 uses of bitch and one use of bastard. Okay. And they don't they don't they don't even talk about JC saying, you know, JC, no. you know, which that's is said just... through, which is said throughout the film as well. So that's the unrated and in the theatrical fuck and its variations are used 159 times. The word shit appears 73 times amid a total of approximately 300 profanities. So there you have it, folks. That's your bad Santa. And to me, that's what, you know, makes the movie bad, quote unquote. Right. I mean, we're, we're dealing with a Santa who um, is a sex addict, particularly um, for yep. a- anal sex. Should we talk about the scene where he almost gets raped? Where, si- where Willie almost gets raped? Yeah. When does he almost get raped? By that Indian guy in the parking oh lot? Oh my god, that's right. That's right. That's right. So I mean that's I mean in terms of That's just a That's bizarre. a cra- that's a crazy character that they've come up with. It's it does push the borders of like uh is this an appropriate portrayal of your typical gay man? Um but he—he's not a typical gay man. But, but he does he re- try to rape him out in the parking lot over but the car. But he reiterates he? several times he is not a gay man. Well, but so he's, but a, he so also he's a repressed a, okay. gay man who now wants to rape Santa, basically. But and he's, he's also, in a Santa suit, right? Oh well, yeah, he's in a Santa yeah. suit. But okay. he's also off his meds. Oh, he does say he's off so his he's meds. A, but I mean, you know, I mean, you can so throw, you know, as a writer, you can throw in all these little okay. things to say, okay, well, the, you know, this will explain why he's acting the way he's acting. But it's still very, it's it's almost the one of, it's one of the very few things in Bad Santa where I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, really? So, I only bring up that scene because, and this was on the commentary. They were talking about it. They were like. Nobody really liked that scene, but they needed a reason for Thurman Merman to interact with Willie at that point. They needed to get the two of them together. And they came up with that? Well, Because well. <laughs> does, does Thurman come along and save the day? He does come along he and does. save the day, doesn't he? Yeah, because okay. he goes, little boy! <laughs> oh, right, that's right, because it's the three of them, like... Towsling, yeah. you know, ruffling, rough, rough housing together. Okay, yeah, and it is. It's. I want to say it's. It's oddly funny. I don't know how much amu- how amused I was by that. To be perfectly honest. No, I mean it's certainly. <laughs> it's just. 
it's so bizarre mm-hmm. that like I I just mm-hmm. <laughs> but they were like we have no other way we need to get there are other ways use your I don't know okay it is what it is let's it just is what accept it, is. it oh. as what it is um another thing that I I found was very cliche but whatever you're not going to be able to get away from this in movies is the whole crawling through the vents I guess it does put a new spin on things that you've got like uh a little person a little person crawling through the vents uh you know, and it is funny. It is funny when he's testing it out. He's he's seeing, you know, he's mapping out the the air vent uh, accessibility in the mall. Yeah. And the people working in the offices can hear him above. And they all, <laughs> they they all choose carry... to ignore yeah, him. Yeah, right. Like, they just uh, carry on yeah. with their... <laughs> it's like, what the... <laughs> I feel bad for him because in the first we we see the first heist and he's he gets the height as a snowman. Oh right! But in the second heist, he drops from the ceiling and just hits the table and bounces off. Yeah, <laughs> ouch! It's some good physical comedy. There is, especially from him. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. Um, there were a couple scenes added because they liked Bernie Mac so much. Sure. Uh, one of the scenes they added, because it really doesn't add much to the plot, if anything, is the scene where he uh, busts that kid for shoplifting. That was and a, steals his MP3 player. <laughs> and then there's this scene of um, him getting his nail. <laughs> he's getting his nail. Na- he's getting a pedicure. He's getting a pedicure. <laughs> he's probably getting. And a he's man- yelling. He's probably and getting he's... a mani pedi. And yeah, he is. He is, and he's yelling at the poor lady who's doing it. And what is it? He wants more gloss. He says whatever she was putting on it, it wasn't glossy enough. And then he goes, "Get in there, woman! Don't be scared." And then, and then she hurts him, and he goes, "What's wrong with you?" Yeah. Oh, poor. I miss Bernie Mac. Mm-hmm. Miss John Ritter too. This mm-hmm. was um. This mm-hmm. was John Ritter's last live action theatrical release. What, did he do animation after Bad Santa or something? I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm just going by what I read. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. He finished the ADR for this movie. um, What's what's ADR? Where they go back, um, the loop lines. Oh, sure. They didn't didn't pick it up. Yep. They have have you do the... um, Yeah, dub over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He only finished it a week before he passed away. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So. Well, yeah. Um, oh, let's talk about Granny, Cloris Leachman. God love her. I just love Cloris Leachman. I love that she appears in this movie. She doesn't seem to be credited. Maybe she's in the final she credits. Wa- you certainly don't see her in the She wanted credits. to go uncredited. She yeah. is in the final credits because they show all the characters with mm-hmm. their names. Mm-hmm. Hers is the very last one, and it's only like a split second. Mm-hmm. I can see why she would do that, and it is it, it is a sight gag to have her, you know, as Granny. Yeah, um, and it's and it. So she wanted to go uncredited, but uh, she was convinced by uh, uh, Zwigoff. He's like, it's really important, like that we get your name recognition out there. Like, I guess for the movie. Or maybe just for him. Maybe he's a big Cloris Leachman fan. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, it would have been even better if she just wasn't credited at all. You know? So, this is, this what? is I, I I told you there was something I wanted to oh, tell yes. you. And I wanted to get your genuine reaction on the podcast. Yes. 
this is her idea, mind you. Oh, boy. She wanted to do every single one of her scenes naked. Let and me just, Andrew has I gotten just, up from his chair. Yeah, I need to take. I need to walk to the other side of the room. He needs to walk away. <laughs> that is a genuine, genuine reaction. <laughs> I, I'm so glad that I waited till now to tell you. <laughs> and that shirt that Willie buys Thurman at the very end when he's writing his letter from the hospital. Shit happens he, when you party naked. <laughs> She wanted to do... I'm literally on the floor, people. (laughs) She wanted to do all her scenes naked. And... She's crazy. Like, she's... That's not the only time she said stuff like that. (laughs) I love it, though. (laughs) Um, She was convinced to do it clothed. Um... The easiest way, the, the easiest way to convince her that she had to do everything clothed was, uh, we have this eight-year-old, your grandson oh, will be right. interacting with. Oh you. right, of course. <laughs> oh my god. Which is also, so she's introduced with one of my favorite lines in this movie. Because he's at, because uh, so Willie's trying All to get. All she says is, "Let me make you some sandwiches." No, the line that said before that she says that. Okay, go on, Willie is grilling uh, Thurman here because he wants to know, like, who's at the house. He goes, uh, what about your dad? He's like, my dad's traveling in the mountains. His dad's in jail. He goes, what about your mom? My mom lives up in heaven with, like, the talking walnut. Right. And then he, he goes, well, who's here? He goes, Granny. And then he asks him, is she spry? And he walks in. Spry- what-, what does that mean? Now I'm like wondering what exactly. Go spry- ahead. Uh, so- no, I know. I know oh. what the I know what the conventional definition okay. is. Go ahead. You know, she, is she all there? Oh, okay. Uh, you know. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm okay. That's what the implication was. Like, can I rob this house, or is she gonna like? You know, okay. grandma might be sharp. Yeah, gotcha. And he just walks in. She's like asleep on the couch. Yep. Her her reclining chair. Reclining chair, yeah. watching, like, infomercials. And he just walks in and goes, Granny, are you spry? I don't know why, but that just makes me laugh. It, it, coming from him, I can't help but think it might have sexual connotations. I will leave it at that. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's the case, but it could be. Who knows? But so he says, are you spry? And what does she say? Oh, you know? you're home. Let me make you some sandwiches. <laughs> right, 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 right. There was okay. also a scene that was unfilmed where she tries to kiss Billy Bob Thornton. I'm not surprised to hear that. She's pulled antics like that before. And she tried to, like, stick her finger up one of his nostrils. She's like that. Dude, she's like that. There are other stories like this well, of her. Tell us a Cloris Leachman story. I, do, I don't have any off the top of my head. There are... I know that she's, let's see. Okay, well, I remember when they had a Mary Tyler Moore reunion. Oh, boy. You can YouTube this. I think it might have been Oprah, actually, where they had a Mary Tyler Moore reunion, and Cloris Leachman comes in, and she's all over the place. I think she sat on Ed Asner's lap and got very, very flirtatious. She might have done that with the other guys as well. But this is kind of 
you know, what she does. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's always kind of like really coming on to, you know, uh, to guys, you know, on set and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's all, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. And she'll say very inappropriate things. It's just kind of her M.O. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because she doesn't say much in this movie. No, she doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't. She just wants to make people sandwiches. Uh-huh. And pass out on the couch and almost die. Uh-huh. So, the Coens, when they um they rewrote the script, which Sopranos actor do you think they had in mind to play Willie? Oh. Uh. See, I didn't watch The Sopranos, so I don't really know. James Gandolfini. Okay. Okay. I mean, it would have been different. It would have been different. Yeah. Now, two actors that are one time or another actually attached but dropped out for scheduling conflicts to play the part of Willie included Bill Murray. Okay. And Jack Nicholson. Oh, no. I mean, those are, they're both very obvious choices. You know, to go, to go with someone else is a good idea. But I just can't, yeah, I, I, I don't, I can't see anybody but Billy Bob Thornton doing this. For some reason, I keep thinking Vince Vaughn, and I don't know why. Billy Bob is the perfect one. He was perfect. I liked the fact that he's skinny, too. I liked the fact that he's a skinny Santa Claus. Very skinny Santa Claus. Uh, yeah. He's almost emaciated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that kind of really um, lent a whole other dimension to, to it to me. It just works. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole thing, like, his, I mean, the chemistry with everybody. Is excellent. So, is it, excellent. again, which leads me to believe that he was not intoxicated the entire time. No, and you know what? We just watched some back uh, behind-the-scenes footage. He doesn't look intoxicated in a lot of those behind-the-scene footage uh, sequences that we saw. No. Not at all. He seems very with it. And he was always very um, careful around um, the young actor about like having to say certain things. Like he'd always ap- apologize afterwards to not only the, the, the actor, but, you know, he's eight years old, so his mom had to be on set, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't strike me as, like, you mm-hmm. know, that's not behavior of someone that's... Uh... Intoxicated. I did that. I did that when I played Jim Casey in Grapes of Wrath. There were children uh, There were children in the cast, and I remember apologizing. I think I apologized to them specifically about my swearing in the dressing rooms. Backstage, they didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I got it. But differently, though, he swears like directly at this kid. No, yeah, (laughs) he says stuff like, "The fuck is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Are you fucking with me?" Mm -hmm. But the The way he flies off the handle is so so indicative of his characterization. You really learn a lot from him. Just the way he'll just kind of like snap. He'll snap at anything, really. Well, he's the first time we see him snap is just at the alarm clock. Oh, that has always been one of the most cathartic scenes in movie Isn't history for me. Yes. He just takes takes the it's the beginning of the movie. Takes the alarm clock goes off. It's some it's a Christmas song. It is. Yep. Takes it, smashes it against the wall, and that's not enough. He's got to take his beer bottles from the night before and smash those against the wall too. I 
I can't tell you how much this means to me to see in a movie. Like, it really does something to me. I well, really, they did it in Groundhog Day, I really Day appreciate too. it. They do do it in Groundhog Day, but not the way Billy Bob does it no. in Bad Santa. He is just, and he's, you see right away that he's got so much anger. Yeah. So much anger. I mean, he's really, really pissed off. I really like, pissed off, smashing things against the wall. Go on, sorry. I like that freak out, but I like his post-checkers freak out even better. <laughs> it just comes, because it's like slow boiling, because the scene goes on, and like Thurman keeps making a move, but he keeps his finger on the piece and moving it back. He takes his finger off before and changes his mind yeah. again, which is not... Part of the rules, but he, Billy, you know, but Willie lets him get away with it. And then, and then yeah, go ahead. And then he just like double, yeah, double jumps him. Double jumps all over the place and says, King me. And he just freaks out. <laughs> he definitely knocks the board over. And the kid has no reaction. <laughs> That's that, that blank look again. What is so. He just looks up at him and goes, Want to play again? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, no matter how much Willie yells at him, he sees. The person behind the anger. That's that's what right. I feel like with the, with those blank looks. He's, he's, got, he's waiting for the tantrum. We do see the father for a minute. But in he's the in movie. jail. But he he's in jail. But I mean, and, but I'm thinking to myself, is Thurman used to being yelled at by his father, and that's how that, that's why he reacts the way he reacts. But the father that we see in jail doesn't seem like someone who's going to yell at his no, son the and way he's that in Billy there, Bob is yelling at. at he's Thurman. in there for white collar crimes, right? So, exactly. So he doesn't seem like one of those dads that no that likes that Willie's probably had. You no, know? but he also but he's still, but still, like Thurman is very the way he handles that anger. Willie's anger is very just blank slate until the tantrum is over and then let's pick up again but to be involved in high like high stakes white color crime most likely the guy's a workaholic he's probably not even there all that much he probably sure. doesn't spend that he strikes me as a very lonely individual so does willie and i think that's why they connect these are two and um i know that she goes unnamed in the movie but lauren graham's character sue they all are very, very lonely. Yeah, they are. Um, they are. I mean, yep. And Marcus has his mail order wife. Yep. So he's happy. Mm-hmm. Even With, even Granny is probably pretty lonely. Yeah, but I think Granny's not all there mentally. She's not. I, I she's think. Not. I think. I so think. It doesn't maybe. maybe it doesn't I think we reached not. late stage dementia. Maybe with, with Granny. Yeah. Um. That. She's off in her own world anyway. Yeah. So. But you're right. We're dealing with the three main characters are people who, you know, who are lonely and are looking for, you know. Connections. Yeah, for connections. And especially especially Sue and uh, and Thurman. And they find that with Willie. Yeah. And Willie needs it. He's not, he's not seeking it out. He's pretty much given up. He has given up. He wants to die. That's how lonely he is. It's sad. It's sad. It's you know you you could rename it Sad Santa. It, you know you really could be Sad Santa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a beaut- I mean, it's a beaut- I mean, I'm about to cry talking about Bad Santa, but I mean, this is the type of movie that it really, really is when that, everything is said and done. That final letter, um, another g- good piece of editing. Um, it's very nice. It, I mean, it's typical Willie. 
But originally, it was much more crass. He's like... What was? The final letter. You only Oh, hit, really? Yeah. It was much more crass. Oh, from the hospital. From the hospital. Okay. It was much more crass. It had stuff like, you know, I didn't believe in Chris. Like, I didn't really have much of a meaning for Christmas. I didn't really know what Christmas was all about. But I know just having a place to shit and a woman to fuck is is well I is mean, all I need for Christmas. And I'm kind of glad they kind of took some of the crassness. Yeah, but I mean, it it's still it it fits in with with the theme. You it know? does. I mean, it's it's a crass. It's all it's it's as it's as if it, if he's gonna say anything meaningful or or emotional. Um, it has to have this crassness to it. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way he expresses himself. Which, which I'm glad that they kind, they, uh, really glad that the scenes that they took out, it shows him, he's, first of all, he makes his, like, redemption arc too soon. Because there's that whole scene with the box, teaching the kids self-defense in boxing. Yeah. That's too soon. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The scenes and gratuitous. That, it just all feels so gratuitous. It's he's he's not that bad of a guy, folks. He's just not that bad of a guy. Okay, it's, that's what it feels like. Yeah, and and I and you, you see him cleaned up in like cute shirts in these added scenes. Yeah, it's not in his Santa suit. No, and, and he's it, not even looking like you know beat, downtrodden, beaten up, and drunk. You know, no. you know, it's yeah. It's, it's like why. Test screenings. Yeah. <laughs> Weinstein Brothers, Todd Phillips, what do you want? Yeah. Um, and so I'm just really glad. And unfortunately, I, I bet you there's a lot of people out there that when this first came out, they'll see, they'll if when this was released on a DVD and Blu-ray initially, you go to the store, you got the director's cut, or you got Batter Santa. Mm-hmm. Unrated, and that's what you think. That's what people are probably going to go for. I th- I, of course. I mean, I was interested when the when it came out. I was like, "Oh, Batter Santa!" Like, I'm, I'm, I want to see that. I, 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 I never th- did. And I, I had to say, I think the first time that I owned Bad Santa was it was the Batter Santa. Okay, so do you, okay. I don't own it now. Okay, I well actually I kind of do. The uh, the Blu-rays got both copies. Okay, um, but. Yeah, I just... I was going to ask you if you remember anything from Batter Santa that was added in, but I'm not really interested. No. Yeah. It's... I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This director's cut is it. It I mean, is. The, this is. This is where you need to see the director's vision and really nothing else. No. the You're not missing... The funniest jokes are not taken out. No. The jokes that are taken out are out of place mm-hmm. or... Ju- don't fit the tone. Mm-hmm. It's just... And if you see... You know, we won't keep beating this into the ground, but if you see the director's cut and then you see the added footage in the theatrical release, you really can tell the difference. Oh, like, yeah. Like, oh, this is, this is not the same. No. 
even though it looks the same. There's a scene where he's he cook. Yeah, we, well, we already mentioned it, but there's a scene where he's cooking dinner for the kid and granny. Yeah, like that's, what? No, that's not bad Santa. No, no, no. This bad Santa is like. I mean, and you know, I've been there. Like, I, I think we all have at some point in our life where it's just like, I don't care anymore. I right. just want, you know, I do want just a place to shit and someone to fuck, and that's all. <laughs> fuck y'all. Right. Basically, that's him. Yeah, that's him. And so it makes all the more profound that last act of delivering the pink elephant. And that's exactly <laughs> and that's exactly what uh, yeah. Zvigoff wanted. Yeah, yeah. I and get it, it works. Yes, yeah. yes. And th- he didn't like the 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 monologue, the opening no. voiceover no. is just bad. It's it's, it's BS. I it's mean, BS. It, he no... wanted the first like. There's no reason for it. They were trying to it's write... It's a distraction hearing all that. Well, they were writing... There's cheap jokes throughout it, trying to get a laugh. Yeah. He wanted the first laugh of the movie to be him puking in the alleyway. Yeah, that is the first laugh, and it's... <laughs> and it may... That's the screensaver on the DVD, I noticed, when you, we were just watching is it. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. What a scene to choose. But it's, it's, it's beautiful, though. He's out in the alleyway. It's night and it's snowing. It's a peaceful, beautiful snow. And yeah. There, and there he is, like, hunched over, hunched over, and then there it comes. And you see it. You see his yeah. puke coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and there you have it. This is what we're... Do- this is it. Yeah. This is what we're... The beginning of the ride. Yeah. And you, you know what you're in for. Mm-hmm. But then with the theatrical cut... You get this whole Miami, like, five-minute scene of him robbing a house that has nothing to do with nothing. And... No. I mean, in the director's cut, I think the Miami scene is just him looking all, at, at all the At the volleyball girls. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's all you need. And that's, that is all you need. That is all you need. I do kind of like the joke of him. It, you think that he's actually working at the bar. That yeah. He actually... Or it's his bar yeah. that he bought with the money from the last heist. He said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. You see him cutting up lemons and then... He, the, and then the bartender, the real bartender, comes in and not only literally kicks him out, like yeah. it turns into a fight. But, like a lot of Todd Phillips's humor, it just goes on too long. Yeah. Like, I think that that scene would have worked right if it was just like... How many times do I have to tell you, get out from that yep. behind my bar and punch him, punch him in the stomach, cut. That's the punchline, literally. That would have worked fine, but no. They have to, like, tussle over the bar. Yeah, can come back and, and, and then and run away. And throw back and throw a bottle. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. Like, act like kids. Yeah, Like, that's yeah. that's why I think, like, the, the this director just, he knows humor. Like, and it shows in his other movies. This is the most crass of the movies that he, but he knows he knows funny, and that's why, like, the director's cut is just like, boom, boom, boom. There's no, you know, you don't have to trim any of the fat. It moves so quickly. 88 minutes. Yeah, You're- I mean, hallelujah, an 88 mo- <laughs> I remember, what's, oh, I can't even remember the name of the movie, but there was one movie where that came out, it was a... Uh... Uh, a horror movie that came out or an action movie that came out that the village voice reviewed and it was under 90 minutes and it was like really under 90 minutes oh yes 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 i got so excited yeah don't get me wrong i'm uh, if the movie justifies its length that's fine 
but I mean, come on. If a movie needs to if, say all it says in under 90 minutes, there's no reason for padding. No, there's no there's reason not. to push it out a little bit longer. No. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it, things move so fast in this but director's this is, cut. This is. I know. The Weinsteins. Sure. Okay, fine. You know what? We'll do your director's cut, but then we're doing a better Santa cut. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. But even the theatrical release. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. Gotcha. Yeah. So we'll release your director's cut, but we're also going to do this. We're going to do the better Santa cut. Mm-hmm. Ten minutes longer. Yeah. Ten minutes longer. Ten minutes is a long time in movie watching. Especially, world. especially Land. in comedies that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when the jokes aren't landing. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's the cardinal sin of a of a comedy. Mm-hmm. You do, no, it you gotta keep things on and on and on. You gotta keep things going, going, going. Mm-hmm. One joke, one joke setting up after the other joke. Mm-hmm. This movie is quotable. It's got sight gags. It's it's like that, and that's why I can see why people really like love this movie. Yes. Like yes. like I said, it, it spawned a whole bunch of adult R-rated Christmas movies. But, I mean, this is the one that I'll always come back to. Yeah. Um, so that's how... My, going back to Justifying Whites on the cult film companion. Because it, 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 it has a cult following. And I do think over time, over more and more and more time, it will remain to... It will, it will continue to have this following. Right. So I think I do think that over time it'll become more and more of a cult movie. Because I think it's the kind of thing that, you know, if and when I have kids, I eventually will show them like when it's when they're age appropriate, I'll show them bad Santa. Like <laughs> around Christmas time. Wait till you they're like eighteen. <laughs> well that's another funny story. He, uh, Billy Bob was talking about how he had like 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 young teenagers or like preteens coming up talking to him about this movie oh yeah and he was just like why have you seen this yeah yeah he's like why did your parents let you see this yeah you know (laughs) so this is the first appearance for billy bob thornton but i i could see him i think there's a the first what appearance on our show for this oh okay yeah so yeah Terry uh, Zwigoff, his other movies are definitely cult movies. Uh, he's very much a cult director. Um, t- two documentaries, only one of which I have seen, um, and his other two movies are great. Um, so Ghost World is really good, huh? Ghost World is really, really good. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think I've seen any of his other got, stuff. Uh, a great performance from Steve Buscemi in it. Oh, and very good. That's right. That's right. You a told me. Very young Scarlett Johansson. Okay. And the other girl, I want to say, is the girl that ended ended up in American Beauty. The bl- oh, sure. Not the blonde. Not the blonde. The dark-haired girl? The, the dark-haired yeah, girl. Yeah, almost goth-looking. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's her. And Art School Confidential has... Um, drawing a blank. I do know John Malkovich is in it, because we did, we did hear a very interesting John Malkovich story. You really want to talk about that? No, we probably shouldn't. <laughs> that sounded that's a, that's like a, a can of worms. Yeah, that sounded like a story that maybe shouldn't have been told in a public forum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get the feeling that Terry Zwigoff doesn't really care. 
Um, but yeah, so Roger Ebert loves this movie. Roger Ebert loves this movie. So um, yeah, <laughs> we've gone from an art, uh, Roger Ebert uh, penned script to Brazil, which we're not sure how he felt about. It. Siskel didn't like it. I don't think Ebert liked it either. Yeah, and then Bad Santa, which he uh, which he loved, loved, and to the to point where he hosted a screening of it. Yeah. So, I think it was a screening of the director's cut. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, Terry, Terry Zigov starts off the commentary saying that he, he didn't think that they'd ever do the um, director's cut of it. I'm glad. I'm really glad. I'm really glad, too. I mean, if I were to see this again, and I would see this again, I, de- I definitely would see this again. Um I would watch that version. This version. Oh, yeah. yeah. This, there's, this there's is the, no, the only one. There's no reason to watch the other two. No. It's there. It's. I don't know. It's if a you, perfect little movie. And it doesn't, there, there yeah. are not many movies, no matter how much you like them or how brilliant they are. There aren't many movies that I can say are perfect little movies. This one is. This one is. It's. It's. It's paced beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's shot beautifully. Mm-hmm. The music is great. It has an original score. Plus, you've got classical cues. You've got mm-hmm. you get your crisp. They make it the you know the Christmas music is the joke in the movie. It but, is. Uh, but you know, if anyone that's worked in retail, which I have, <laughs> well, oh, oh, I'm glad you brought that up because this does remind me. I do need to mention. This does remind me of, I think it's called The Santa Land Diaries by David Sedaris, which is a hilarious, hilarious read. And it's about David Sedaris's uh, time in employment, I think at Macy's, as an elf during Christmas time. Okay? Um, and it's, I think at the very end, I think the very end of the story, I shouldn't spoil it for those who haven't read it, but it doesn't matter. It's still very funny. Uh even if you know this, at the very end, um, the, a customer says that she's going to report him to the manager, and he says, "He says when you, <laughs> he says when you do, tell the manager. Don't tell the manager that I called you a c u n t. Tell the manager that I called you a fucking c u n t. Bam." That's the last line of the story. So there you have it. This is what it's like. This is what it's like doing retail during Christmas time at a Christmas-themed store. It gets uh, that ugly. Well, I didn't even work in a Christmas-themed store, but I worked in a uh, major chain, and the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Woo! Christmas music. Oh, oh, they just cram that right down your throat, oh, don't they? Mm-hmm. And... You thought you were sick of the two dozen songs that you hear on repeat. At least some of them are like, at least some of them are decent. But like, by the end of the first week, I just did not want to hear another Christmas song from the world. Just like, and this is like a month before Christmas. Yeah, and you're already burnt out on all those songs. It sucks the life out of you. Oof, I can imagine, dude. So, but that reminds me of a, a line. Your story reminds me of a line in the movie when he's. Eating the salad, salad's pouring out of his mouth, and uh, he yells at uh, a lady. Brings up her child to say hi to Santa Claus, and he goes, "I'm on my fucking lunch break." Yeah. She goes, "I'm going to report you to the manager," and he just goes, 
Go right ahead. If you think you can make my life even worse, go for it. <laughs> yeah. So, so our our podcast is officially longer than the theatrical version of this movie. So, and that's what I I call it self indulgence. That's when we know we've become self indulgent. Actually, we, we 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 both decided that. Yeah. But you know what? Our deal is we like to talk about movies, and if you like to listen, then we've got an arrangement. So, just a couple more things to uh, to mention here. Um, this movie was shot entirely in California. Really? I, I think I mentioned it. Yeah, it started, it's shot in July and September, and they said that the uh, um, they shot at the Dell Ammo Fashion Center... In Torrance, California, which is the largest... Torrance, I know Torrance. It's the largest mall it is. in the... Um, I've been the, there. The, it's it is. huge. It is. It is. It is. Yep, I know exactly what you're they talking about. They said there's about. like 10,000 parking spots, <laughs> like 500 stores, three yeah. food courts. Yeah. Yeah, um, Torrance is... It's, it should be a little city of its own, actually. It is a little city of its own. So, um, And it's supposed to be Phoenix, right? Isn't that supposed to be where we're at... For the majority of the movie, it's in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's Phoenix. so. Yeah, it's supposed to be the Seguero Square Mall uh, is where the movie takes place. But it was shot throughout California. Um, they shot the the Thurman Merman house was found in the the West Hollywood Hills. Um, hmm. It's a nice house. So that so the interior when you at the very end when he's writing the letter and you see them go out to the pool or the jacuzzi in the outside, and you see Arizona. You see the neighborhood. You see the hills, actually. I think that's a p- backdrop. I think Could that, be. Yeah, because I was looking at it. I was like, is that real? Is that real? But now that you told me that it was all filmed in California, yeah. I'm almost positive now that that was a backdrop. Yeah, and they okay. went... Um, I forget which beach. California's full of beaches for mm-hmm. the um, the scenes that were supposed to take place in Miami. Florida. Okay. Um would you like to to take a guess to what this was the Czech Republic title for this movie is? I have no idea. All right. Santa is a pervert. Oh wow. Wow. Okay. Th- uh, yeah, should we end with that? <laughs> um <laughs> is that It would have been a nice place to end, but I do have uh <laughs> We probably should. We we'll we'll go back and end on that. But first, I want to mention you brought up. We I surely should have mentioned this earlier when we were talking about Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman was in another Christmas movie. Uh, let me think. Do I know? She's done a hundred thousand flicks, so she could easily be in another Christmas movie. What is it? Prancer. That what? By one of the reindeer. Really? Yeah. Okay. Can you slap a year on that? 88, 89. Well, that... Okay. And the only reason... I mean, I I should know. Well, I... I do have a reason for bringing Bring it. This is not just... This is not just me going, oh, yeah, by the way, Cloris Leachman was in Prancer. Okay. Take a guess from all all our previous episodes that it was... The director of Prancer is... Is a director that we covered already. Long pause. <laughs> He's thinking, ladies and gentlemen. Eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Pr- 
Prince. I don't know, dude. I have no idea. Something you recommended. Well, that would be one of two. It can't possibly be Russ Meyer. Can't possibly be Russ Meyer. No. Well, the other one is Let's Scare Jessica to Death, and I forgot who that director is. John D. Hancock. Is that, that's the director? And he did a movie called Prancer with Cloris Leachman? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just, I, hope, I hope he made money. I hope it made money. I think it did quite well, because I actually... Why don't I know about it if it did quite well? Okay. I, I mean, that was kind of like, I was in my prime. Weren't you like 19? Yeah, but... You're going to well, go see Prancer? Maybe... Maybe I was maybe I was backpacking through Europe at that point. I would hope so because I saw Prancer and I was eight. You saw? Uh, did you see it in the theaters? Yeah, I remember seeing it in the theater. Okay, I mean, all I remember, all I really remember was like Dick Tracy and that that car racing movie with Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. Uh, Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder. That was big. That was big all over Europe. Um, okay, all right. Final thoughts. Watch the theatrical. Not the theatrical version. (laughs) Rewind. Rewind. All right. Watch the director's cut of Bad Santa from now on. If you've seen it before, even if you haven't seen it before, don't watch anything else. For real. Don't waste your time. Trim. Trim the Hollywood off it. Yeah. Really. See see the real deal. Yeah. You get. Mm -hmm. You get like the real Bad Santa experience. Mm-hmm. You're not missing out on any of the jokes. If you're that kind of person that's missing out on large amounts of profanity, might I recommend Scarface will fill your profanity quota mm-hmm. after watching the mm-hmm. director's cut of Bad Santa. <laughs> Maybe that'll work. If you need your your profanity quota filled. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, there's really... There's no we we did the time to to watch all the the scenes that were filmed and left out were terrible. Yeah. The scenes that were let put in without the director uh even having a part in it are out of place and not funny. Yeah. So director's cut all the way. Sometimes yeah. I uh sometimes I I um I don't think we have, we don't really, other than Brazil, we haven't really talked about a movie on here that's got multiple cuts to talk about. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe. But we are compiling a list of stuff that we forgot. So I'll add it to the list. If we did, if if there's a a cut of the movie that, um, yeah. uh, other than Brazil, because we we got a whole thing to talk about, but Brazil. Yeah, but if, if you're really into our podcast, we will eventually have uh, an episode, a bonus episode that'll be that'll cover the mistakes and unmentions that we that the, yeah the know, little forgotten previous. nuggets that yeah. we uh, forgot to bring you. But thank you again. Happy holidays. What, however you choose to celebrate your holiday, we support it, unless it's sacrificing children that's that's not good but if it involves like gingerbread cookies and um lighting uh what do they light a a menorah a menorah light the menorah happy kwanzaa kwanzaa um happy holidays merry christmas from the cult film companion podcast uh you can find us on facebook at the cult film companion facebook 
book group. We are at the Cult Film Comp on Twitter. You can email us at thecultfilmcompanion at gmail.com. Someone will get back to you eventually. And um, But yeah, Twitter and Facebook is the best way to get a hold of us. Recommend us movies. Recommend our show to people you think will dig our show. Contribute to the Facebook group, but just please keep it cult film related. And if you could justify it as a cult film, then you're more more power to you because I somehow got away with covering Bad Santa on this show. Yeah. Or, as it's known in the Czech Republic, Santa is a pervert. Peace. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs>